We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always by my co-host Nick Filato. And on tonight's show, we're going to break down the all 22 game coaches film of the Giants victory in week 17 over the Cowboys. We're going to do it a little differently for this show. We're going to break down the offense and defense on one show tonight. And before we break that down, Nick, I wanted to say this. It's really interesting. The Giants end this season against the Cowboys with a victory where if they had won the game and Washington had lost, the Giants would have won the division. But you can't help but feel good when you watch the All-22 of this game. At least I can't. And I am not known as one of the most positive Giants uh, analysts on the internet. I think that's abundantly clear. But the film's good in this one. It really is on both sides of the ball. The only reason this game was close in my mind, again, was untimely turnovers a few second and long run calls by Jason Garrett that just make me shake my head and there was a lot I liked about Garrett in this game which I want to get into but he's got to fix that for next year and someone has to get in there someone has to show him the analytics someone has to talk talk to him about different ways to move the ball via short passing or take long shots on second and 10 nothing is worse than what he's done in some of these situations and what he's put the Giants in with these second and long runs and I threw a, a graph a graphic about it out on Twitter earlier this week and the Giants were actually eighth in the NFL in the most second and long runs this year so just a stat you don't want to see it's a hard way to win when you do that you put yourself in so many third and long situations and not only that on those calls you really don't have a chance at least not with Saquon Barkley not in the game to break any kind of big play open as well so that's one thing, but aside from that, I came away really positive about this game, really positive about Daniel Jones, extremely positive about Sterling Shepard, who continues to be underrated and is an excellent piece who's going to be even better next year. The offensive line, specifically the run blocking, and then the defense with just a dominant performance. And again, Patrick Graham with a really good performance. There's a lot to talk about here, Nick, so I'll actually open the floor to you. Where would you want to start? Say so we start with the offense, and even on that first drive, I mean, the Giants kind of controlled the line of scrimmage. They really... I think manipulated the Dallas Cowboys. If you remember back to the first matchup with the Cowboys, the Giants kind of really implemented that counter game a lot. And that's when you really saw them make that a focal point of their offensive strategy. So they knew the Dallas Cowboys knew that. Giants didn't run that on their first drive. They ran some duo a little bit. And then they ran a fake counter with a reverse to Sterling Shepard that went the distance. And if you watch that play, you'll see every Cowboy linebacker scrape over the top. They read their run keys with Caden Smith faking. He was 
bluffing like he was going to cap the end man on the line of scrimmage like he usually does as a lead blocker but instead he pivots off his inside foot and runs out into space with Nick Gates and there was only one Cowboys defender between the hash and the sidelines they were totally manipulated so I thought that was an excellent play call by Jason Garrett and he did have a few I would agree there was a sequence in this game where he ran twice on first and second long because I think the Giants took a penalty and it's like why would you do that in the situation when you're actually having success throwing the football against the Dallas Cowboys that's definitely a knock something that we've kind of bashed Jason Garrett for several times throughout this podcast this season But I really enjoyed the opening script. I enjoyed the fact that Giants were able to kind of show some offensive output, albeit it's against the Cowboys defense. You got to take it with a little grain of salt. But I thought Daniel Jones, like you said, looked solid. I thought Sterling Shepard looked really good as well. And another big part of that is the fact that he was able to operate out of the slot which isn't something that he's done all that often because that's Golden Tate's slot. Golden Tate's inactive in this game, and now Sterling Shepard slides into the slot, and that's a place where I feel like he is maximized, and I hope that's what the Giants do next season, and I think they will. A lot to unpack there. I'm going to start with the play that you talked about, the Sterling Shepard touchdown run. I think you said it best. The Cowboys were completely fooled. A few things I like about this. One, Jalen Smith, who was the hero of the first game against the Giants, and someone who we just didn't understand had such a good game against the Giants, considering how bad his game tape was the rest of the season, was completely fooled and taken out of this play, and really is the re- that's the reason in my mind why this was able to go for the distance and for seven. But what you said is most important here are a couple things. One, it's another really good opening script from Jason Garrett, who all season long has put on film really good opening scripts. You want to look for positives with Jason Garrett if he does return as the Giants offensive coordinator. That's one of the first and foremost positives for me. It's that he does a really good job of scripting the opening drive. The Giants have had a lot of success on their opening drives despite not having too much speed at the receiver position, an offensive line that has been really up and down, a quarterback who has played okay at times, better in my mind towards the end, which we're going to talk about today, and a tight end who's made a lot of mistakes, the number one tight end who's made a lot of mistakes, and a backup running back. And despite all of that, Garrett has done a really good job scripting those opening drives. But what I also like about what you broke down is, like you said, the best coaches in this league, the best offensive play callers, the ones who show something on tape and then show that exact same thing, what looks like that exact same thing, but do something different out of it. So just like you said, it looks exactly like it's going to be the same thing we've seen with Smith coming back around, but then they do the opposite there. And this wasn't the only call. There was a play I loved a little bit later in the game where the Giants wind up in a really tight personnel, and then they motion Austin Mack back towards the line of scrimmage just before the snap, and it looked like they were going to do that classic motion Mack back in and run the football. They run play action, a naked bootleg. Daniel Jones rolls out to his left hits Mac in the flat, Mac gets nine yards, and it's an easy first down. And by the way, Mac is a guy who I continue to be impressed with. The way he moves, he is a smooth mover. And I think that the Giants have a little bit of an underrated, I know everybody's going to want them to upgrade wide receiver this offseason, and I understand that, and I think it should be done to an extent, but I'm actually going to be probably of the opinion that it's not the most important need by any means. I'd rather have a cornerback one if I can get one, and I'd probably rather have an edge one, to be honest with you, if I can get one. And to be honest with you, I can see a debate, Nick, and I could probably be talked into rather having an elite RT1. Now, how do you get an elite RT1? That's harder and much easier said than done. It's probably not going to be a Jack Conklin hits a marker. The Giants are probably not going to spend there. They probably want to still give Paired a chance, which are all things that I understand but with Mack and with Pettis 
also in the mix, and I hope obviously they'll move on from Golden Tate. I just think that has run its course, and like you said, the key is to get Shepard back in the slot. But with Mack and Pettis potentially competing for those outside snaps, I don't think that's as dire as maybe Parrott and Fleming or whoever the hell they're going to bring in to sign a right tackle, or you know Love and Love and uh, Yidum, or you know whoever's going to play edge next year. Honestly, to me, these guys, when I see on tape from both Pettis and Mack, it's not as bad as people think. Now, a case can be made that they do kind of need either one of two things at the receiver position. I think it was evident in times, both this season and in this game. One would be speed to bust open bust open the seams and to kind of have safeties play a little further back. The other and more important to me would be a better contested catch receiver. There's been multiple balls. There was one that I saw in the broadcast that I thought was maybe a bad ball by Jones, but in reality, it was on a second and 10 where he tried a vertical shot, I believe, to either Shepard or Slate, and we'll go over it. It's in my notes. And it's a pretty good ball by Jones, but it wasn't made. The contested catch wasn't made. And I think we saw that a lot on film this year. I think a really, really good contested catch receiver, maybe an Allen Robinson type, and he might hit the market, or even a Kenny Galladay, who also kind of has that skill set in addition to having the deep speed, could really help this offense, can really open things up. But like you said, I really like some of the things I saw from Garrett. He did a really good job in this game of showing stuff that he's been doing all season long and then doing something completely different out of it. Yeah, he obviously had a little bit more incentive, which was a cool storyline going up against his old team. But like you said with Austin Mack, I do believe he's somebody that should be on the roster. I think it's going to be an interesting conversation and we're going to have it all throughout the offseason on where the Giants should invest their free agent money and their draft assets into some of these more important positions or just positions of need, edge, cornerback, wide receiver, because I do believe that they should add a wide receiver, somebody, but I did like Austin Mack on this one play, and I think Austin Mack is a nice piece, but he is an undrafted guy, but on that play, that is a second and seven, 749 left in the first quarter, and it was that naked bootleg. Austin Mack, he has to chip Alden Smith on that play. So he has to get a piece of him and then break into the flat. And he does a good job. It sells the run. The cornerback jolts inside, and then he slips, loses his balance. Austin Mack breaks into open space. And in order to get that first down, he has to lower his shoulder and run through Trevon Diggs. And he does just that to get that first down. Now, unfortunately, the Giants... Wayne Gallman fumbled the football the next snap, and that was unfortunate. Giants defense did an excellent job stepping up and ensuring that they did not get seven, and they only got three on that next drive, but that is an impressive play from Austin Mack, and he's shown a couple of those throughout the season. I love his physicality and what he provides as a run blocker, too. Yeah, and if we're sticking it on the offensive side of the ball, he only had one real big-time play in the passing game. But every time I see this kid in the open flat or with the ball in his hands, he's also another one of these smooth movers, and that's Caden Smith. I think as they move forward and they look to the offseason, if Garrett does return or whoever ends up calling plays and being the offensive coordinator, and I'm starting to feel like it will be Garrett again. And while I'm not thrilled about it, I did see some things I like from Garrett in this game for sure. I saw a lot more vertical concepts in this game than I had seen pretty much all season long. And if he does return as coordinator whoever does i think they need to seriously take it take sit down take a look at their roster and say we can get caden smith a little bit more involved as a receiver because he really doesn't drop passes he's pretty smooth and fluid in in open space and he's a big body too and jones has shown a really nice rapport with him and they've developed a nice rapport despite really limited reps they don't really throw to him he's not very much so involved in the game plan whatsoever from a passing standpoint at least and so he's someone who another person i'd like to see get more involved in 2021 yeah, and the fact that the Giants use so much heavier personnel packages, you'd think they would be able to kind of use play action 
and work some routes over the middle of the field or even up the seam to Kane Smith, but they would keep him in the block a lot. And I think a lot of this is an Evan Ingram effect. I think every week the coaching staff would get together and be like, how do we get Evan Ingram the ball more? You want to get his, you want to get the ball in the hands of your playmakers. And Evan Ingram, you say what you want about him. He's <laughs> certainly frustrating to watch and have on your team, but he's also somebody who can take a five-yard pass and take it to the house. Now, we haven't seen that in quite a while, but I'm sure Jason Garrett wanted to get him more involved every week because there were games where he just was virtually invisible. And I think that was to the detriment of Caden Smith as a receiver, and they just valued Caden Smith because he was such an integral part of their base run play, that counter play, and also just yes. being a run blocker as well. I, I do agree, though. I really want them to get that tight end two more involved, especially if they're out there in 12 and 13 personnel, which they were out there quite a bit in those uh, personnel packages. And quite honestly, Nick, I'm almost very, very, very close to the point where I would like them to run if they add a receiver, which I think they will this offseason. Even if they don't, I think the best offenses these days are a little bit more often in the 11 personnel. I don't want them to go McAdoo on us. I don't want them to go 91%, (laughs) never bunch the receivers, always have them staggered in the same way like McCarthy did with the Packers or McAdoo did with the Giants or Philbin with the Dolphins back in the day. I don't want that, but I do want them to quite obviously lean more on 11 next year. They need to use more 11 next year because they need to open up the field a little bit more and spacing. But if it will be, it will get done. It will naturally happen, I think, if they do draft a big-time receiver or sign a big-time receiver, which I think is on their radar. I really do believe that. I think they'll watch the tape. I think they'll come to that conclusion as well. But I'll say this. I'm getting closer and closer to the point where I'd almost just rather have Caden on the field than Evan. I understand the theory here, which is, and it seems like the Giants are kind of pushing this. Evan Ingram's a great hard worker. He comes to work. He's, we believe he's going to be part of the solution. And that's all good and well, and we talked about this on the last podcast, but it's almost at the point for me, or it is very close to the point for me where it's just, he's that guy who shows up at work, he's there, like I said on the last podcast, he's there early, he wants to get better, he works hard, he's got a good attitude, but he's just not a natural catcher, He uh, not, not a natural hands catcher at all. You look at the tape and there's just so many examples of that. He's not really great in contested catch situations, and all of those things don't even factor in the fact that they tried to game plan for him this season. They had 17 games, 16 games to do it, and it just didn't come to fruition. They had all these different ways of trying to do it. There was, you know, they tried to use them on the curls. They tried to use them in this game on outside and then movement on a slant. They tried to use them vertically at times, and sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But in the end, he's just more of an athlete, and honestly, to me, almost more of just a straight line runner and a and a and a you know second gear type of athlete than anything else, and. I just don't really see it, and I know he's back for another season next year. I don't think it's crazy to limit his role. I just don't think... It's tough to look at it and say they will, but at the same time, if you really break down what he is and take away completely where he was drafted, some of the plays he made last season as a rookie, even some of the bigger plays he made this year, he's almost better off to me as kind of a bit player. Which he may become, not not necessarily a bit player, but if they say they, the Giants do add Devonta Smith or Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddle or someone like that, and Saquon Barkley comes back, Evan Ingram just falls down the pecking order to maybe four on that list, depending on the game plan, because everything is going to be dependent on the specific game plan that week. But it's it's wild, man, when when you think about Evan Ingram. This guy made a Pro Bowl, and Giants fans couldn't feel worse about that. How, how crazy is that? And I don't think any of that is going to help him out. I think this is going to hurt his mental psyche completely. I think athletes listen and track this shit more than people realize. 
and I think this is going to hurt. I don't think this is when every Giants fan gets on their on their account and bashes Ingram or makes these videos of all the bad plays he made, makes fun of the fact that he made a Pro Bowl. Can't help. It can't help his confidence. No, I'm sure it doesn't. And the thing about Evan Ingram that sucks the most is we were looking forward to him and Garrett's offense, and we were also looking forward to him being healthy. Well, we got both of those things. He made a Pro Bowl, and yet we're still incredibly disappointed with him this season. I've wrote, written two straight years. He's a breakout player, and now that's it for me on that front. I Absolutely, have to yeah. fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twi- or Shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. It won't fool me a third time. And that's not to say that you know he can't help them next year. He can still make plays especially after the catch, especially if they can add something on offense and change and tweak a few things in Garrett's system or whoever comes back as coordinator to open up more space. Because again, he made some plays last week where he ran underneath kind of drag type routes, caught the ball, and then beat the defender to the, pass the sticks for first downs on really nice second gear after the catch plays. He still has that ability. And he could still, honestly, I think I, one of my biggest gripes with Garrett is just Use him more as a decoy. Let him just shoot vertically up the seam and take out that safety. And they did a better job of that in the second half of the season. There's even a play this game that Dante Pettis shot. Again, it's another one of these deep overs. And the deep over really fooled that safety a lot with Ingram. And it's fine because I understand why a safety would go take Ingram on that play rather than whoever the backside slot is, who's like Dante Pettis or Golden Tate. You're going to obviously take Ingram. The Giants have made it clear Ingram is their number one supposed focal point on the pat in the passing game. But I'd almost use him more as a decoy when he's on the field. Let his speed take out a safety in the seam. Yeah, and I think we could have saw more of that throughout the season. Mm-hmm. I think there were a lot of plays where he did run up the the seam. There were a couple, I should say, maybe not a lot. But you saw it on tape every now and again. But what we didn't see was a consistency enough attacking the intermediate parts of the field with deep dig routes. Yes. That's what we did not see enough. I think there was one game of the All-22 we were like, that's what we're talking about, Jason Garrett. Uh, it was Darius Slayton. It was a perfect dig route, cleared out by Evan Ingram. Yeah, we love to see that. Why didn't we see that more often? Now, maybe you could point to, hey, the offensive line wasn't that great. But the offensive line started to gel. They played a lot better down the stretch. I think Andrew Thomas looked really good in this game. I'm sure we'll get into the offensive line in a little bit. But that's definitely something I wanted to see was using Evan Ingram's vertical speed to open up routes from Sterling Shepard from Darius Slayton, and now from guys like Dante Pettis. Yeah, exactly. And then on Pettis' touchdown, I mean, we'll save that probably for some talk about Daniel Jones. To me, that's more quarterback than anything else, I think, there. But I would say before we move toward the Jones discussion and the offensive line, I do want to give some props in this game to Sterling Shepard because I have two plays circled down where, one, his release off the line of scrimmage was just as filthy as as it comes, and the other one, which was not completely just off straight off the line of scrimmage, but his route running to create separation. Take a look, if you guys are following along on the game pass, at 9.17 in the fourth quarter when the Giants needed a big play so badly. It's first and 10 from their own 30. And Shepard's release off the line of scrimmage is so pretty. This is like elite receiver release. Now, we know you guys are going to tell us, and I get it, Shepard's more of a wide receiver two than wide receiver one. I don't care about those qualifications. I don't really believe they mean much. I think Shepard is a much better receiver than anyone gives him credit for. I think examples like this are exactly why. His ability to just completely use that jab step inside and freeze the cornerback so he just has so much separation. And we've seen that so much throughout his career. It's not the best ball by the quarterback, but it doesn't have to be because he creates so much separation here. Yeah, the ball was actually, I mean, it might, you could say it was a little underthrown, but that's where you want it. You want it a little bit low to the outside, at least definitely to the outside, because 
the cornerbacks coming from the inside, obviously. But that was, like you said, a great release. Not just the inside jab step that Sterling Shepard uses very effectively against Anthony Brown, but it's the head fake, it's the hip fake, it's the shoulder fake, and he just explodes. And Brown already commits his hips just off the head fake. He thinks it's a quick slant on this first and 10. But instead... It's a breakout fade, and he has so much separation there. So that's just excellent by Sterling Shepard. And a couple plays before that, he had a nine-yard gain where he motioned from the front side of the formation by three-by-one to the outside, and Daniel Jones flows to the opposite side of the field on this play away from Sterling Shepard. Sterling Shepard comes from the back side, and he runs underneath the covering defender, puts himself into a voided area to be wide open because initially... Daniel Jones tries to throw to Sterling Shepard. He's covered by his own underneath zone defender. And Sterling Shepard runs to a spot where there is no defender. That's a nine-yard gain right there. And then Wayne Gallman rushes for one yard to pick up the first down. And then the next play is the play we just went over. So it's just little smart processing plays, knowing where to be and how to adjust mid-play that Sterling Shepard possesses. And it's that kind of savviness that I feel like the Giants offense really miss when he's not there. Yeah, without a doubt. I think that Shepard is just an excellent player, somebody who will continuously be underrated for whatever reason. And I think somebody who will look a lot better next season if the Giants upgrade around him with another receiver and end up ultimately finding what they hoped Ingram would be in this offense via free agency or the draft. But let's get into a little bit of Daniel Jones here because I think in my mind, Jones has made big steps over the last two games. I'm going to talk about the area I think Jones has improved most in in a second but before we do that let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors hey everyone i want to tell you about blue wire hustle a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at blue wire hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level or if you want to host a podcast and you just don't know where to start hustle is the perfect place for you as part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your own show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com join. So one area I really think Jones has improved in, specifically over the last two games, and I think that's as he's gotten healthier as well, is his ability to navigate the pocket. I really loved watching him in this game in the pocket because unlike some other times throughout his career, he did an excellent job stepping up into the pocket rather than trying to escape to his right. And I know we discussed this on the podcast reacting to the game, but as you watch in the All-22, it became even more clear. And I have a play early in the game that you actually just flashed up on the screen. It's funny you said this because this is the one that stands out in my notes. And it's the first quarter, 423, right early on, Giants have a first and 10 from their own 36-yard line. And I just love the way he's able to step up into the pocket 
and this allows him to wait for these routes to get open. He knows where they're going to be based on the coverage. He does an excellent job reading this one post-snap, and he just finds the easy solution to Darius Slayton on this one. And I think Jones displayed this throughout the game, an ability to use his feet to shuffle up into the pocket. Small steps, nothing crazy, no panic. And I think that's something that I'm hoping he's been coached to do, and maybe it took a while, I guess, to settle in. Maybe it's just differences in what he learned last season as a rookie, differences that have carried over from what he learned at Duke or from his high school days. This goes way far back. There's a lot of muscle memory involved in playing the position, but I think he's taking a big positive step in that direction. Yeah, he did this a couple times too, Dan. And I like this route concept as well. Mm -hmm. Darius Slayton is in the slot, and he runs basically like a fade curl. Like He runs outward and then curls back to the quarterback at about a depth of 12 yards or so, and then on the outside the boundary receiver runs underneath it creates a little bit of friction now there's just a little bit of traffic there it doesn't really deter the cornerbacks but that fade kind of gives the impression to the cornerback that it's going to be a vertical route so Darius Slayton does actually a really good job breaking off the route and coming back hard to the quarterback there's a lot of contact Darius Slayton turns his hips the wrong way I mean, uh, the Trevon Diggs turns the hips the wrong way, and Darius Slayton's able to kind of create separation off of a good route, a little bit of contact. I like the route combination, and I love the throw. That was the first throw that I had circled as well by Daniel Jones. I thought he had several throws in this game that were pretty solid, and I thought the offensive line gave him enough protection as well. And when all those things kind of work, you can see what Daniel Jones can do. This isn't an easy throw. He starts from the far hash. Mm -hmm. It's outside the numbers. And those are the kind of questions you ask yourself when you're analyzing a quarterback it's like can he make these kind of throws can he push the ball vertically can he push it to the outside outside the numbers from the far hash towards the sideline to the far hash and we complimented him doing that several times this season now can he do it in extreme weather conditions or even subpar weather conditions I think we have question marks and reservations with that but he can make a lot of these NFL throws I'm not saying he's Patrick Mahomes I'm not saying he has a Justin Herbert arm but he can make these throws and this throw seems simple, but it's really not. And I love the fact that he was able to do this. And he had several other throws we're about to go over too. Yeah, I mean, I thought Daniel Jones looked fantastic in this game. He, with the exception of that one ball to Darius Slayton that he underthrew up the left hash on that vertical route, which also, by the way, came from an unbalanced base and an unclean pocket because of the pressure. Even so, it's not the best throw. It didn't look as bad to me on all 22 as it looked on yeah, the broadcast. I agree with you, yeah. The ball got closer to the outside shoulder than it than it seemed on the broadcast. And he wasn't there, but it got closer. He couldn't step up. And either. like you said, it was an unbalanced base. He couldn't step into the throw, which again is somewhat, some people would say, well, that's on him. You want guys who have the arm talent to make those throws. But what I'll say is very few guys can make those throws. That's kind of like more of the Mahomes, Herberts of the world who have the kind of arm talent to make those type of throws. But besides that play, he really was on point throughout the game. On the intermediate and underneath stuff, he's ripping balls in there with perfect placement and with zip. On the even some of the simple stuff that you look at that I always loved to point to last year when I was become when I was very impressed with Jones and I was really excited about season two, a lot of it was because of simple things like the ball placement on the Sterling Shepard touchdown on the whip route, the his first receiving touchdown, um, Jones' first passing touchdown. If you watch that play over again. If the ball placement is anywhere than where it is on this throw by Jones, it's not a touchdown. The The defender will be able to rally to this underneath. And the Giants might be faced with a goal-to-go situation from their four or five. He puts this perfectly on the outside, on the shoulder that allows uh, 
that allows Sterling Shepard, I should say, to turn upfield on his outside shoulder, which gives him the space he needs to kind of get right to that pylon. And there's not much margin for error here. If he has to turn around back the other way, or if he has to adjust to make this catch in any way, shape, or form, he's not getting in for a touchdown at all. And there are some scenarios where the ball placement could be so off that he has to catch, readjust, shuffle his body, and the defender will then rally and have the not only the angle, but the momentum to kind of push him back at the five-yard line. So this was just one small example. I thought there were other examples littered throughout the tape, but I really liked this one. Yeah, that was a great throw. It was also an amazing route by Sterling Shepard. He gets Diggs to fully believe that he was running some kind of in-breaking route and then just pivots, and he has all the space in the world at the catch point to get to that pylon, and he did so very well. But yeah. Daniel Jones, I, I was impressed. Even with simple timing kind of throws, he hits his back foot, burps the baby a little bit, steps up into the pocket, and fires a strike to Sterling Shepard out of the slot or even from the boundary. He did that a couple times. Shepard did a good job creating yak in those situations on routes that don't necessarily always maximize the yak. He just made some of these Dallas defenders look silly, like Anthony Brown and Trevon Diggs. This was a definitely a very good way to cap off the season for Daniel Jones and an offense that has struggled all season. You can kind of come away being like there's a lot of positive things, especially when you look at the offensive line and how the defensive line of the Cowboys really kind of, I don't want to say dominated the offensive line in the first matchup, but somewhat did. I mean, Andrew Thomas gave up, what, eight pressures in that game? Andrew Thomas was a was a wall in this game. So you'll love to see that progression at the end of the season. And there's definitely more we're going to touch on with the offensive line, but I think there's more to talk about with Jones. You look at the touchdown pass to Dante Pettis, that's just an absolute seed that he throws. First of all, it's an excellent job by Jones using his eyes, using his feet to allow that deep over route that we were talking about before, which has become kind of a staple for the Giants to kind of create those big slot vertical plays, which they've hit multiple times with Tate and now in this game with Pettis. Once he sees and reads that deep over taking the safety, he adjusts his feet and just plants an absolute rip of a seed right in the per- it's it's a really well thrown ball here. I mean, yes, you could say that maybe if he leads him more on the inside, it's a little bit easier of a touchdown, but I'm totally fine with a ball that just rips right into the receiver's chest essentially and allows him to just allow with with the zip to not only have get to the receiver but have no chance for the defensive back to break on the ball, get his hand in there, intercept the pass, or you know use his outside hand because he's coming in. If he uses his left hand and the ball's kind of thrown more toward the inside, maybe he can break it up if it's more of a touch pass. So I love this rip by Jones as well. Yeah, it was a great rip. It was a great play call too. It was off play action. And another reason why that safety has to bite up, it's not just because he's fooled. It's because he has to cover Evan Ingram because all the linebackers get sucked up by the play action pass. It's not just, oh, I'm going to fake this handoff to Deion Lewis, but they pull Shane Lemieux, that backside guard on one of those single puller gap power concepts that they run quite often out of shotgun so all the linebackers kind of jump up and they stay forward and Evan Ingram runs right past him that safety has to jump up there and that creates a one-on-one up the seam to Dante Pettis and Dante Pettis almost dropped the ball but credit to him held on to it he would not have been a Giants favorite if he ended up dropping this football but it was a dart hit him right in the face mask and he was able to score there yep and if you want to see a play like the one we're talking about a little bit earlier on the podcast one of those why don't we see it more from the Giants offense it seems to work all the times they're using it And it seems like they kind of only, they bring out their best at times, it feels like to me, when they're in the two-minute offense and they're forced into that no-huddle two-minute. I kind of wish Jason Garrett, if he is returning to the team this season, and we'll see if it happens, but whoever ends up calling the plays and coordinating this offense would actually mix in more no-huddle, 
more vertically attacking offense at random times in the game because again this is a game that's all about chunk yardage big plays and then efficiency passing the ball in the red zone in my mind those are the two biggest factors in deciding the football games especially on the offensive side of the ball so this one is one that we've talked about all year and it seems to work all the time it's right at the end of the second quarter with a minute 30 left the giants have a first and 10 from their own 41 they run they have three receivers lined up to the right side they run the two verticals and they run the deep dig with Shepard. and jones on this type of play with this two verts and the deep dig has shown the ability to really master the timing and the and the velocity and the placement on these throws his all season long you look back on this team and this offense all season long this concept has worked for the Giants. They just haven't run it enough. Yeah, absolutely not. And it was perfect right here. Hits his back foot, sets his feet, waits for the route to develop, and that safety can't drive down. He has to respect the vertical route. And there's a void between the linebacker and that apex defender. And that void is also created because the number three receiver in the route concept does a deep over. And that deep over has to take... Sean Lee has to respect that deep over, creating that void. I'm telling you, these routes, these routes, they they feed off of each other. I don't think that's rocket science by any means. You need to have well-designed concepts against specific defenses. And basically, every time the Giants tried this, it was a good throw by Jones. Usually, Slayton seems to be the recipient of it. He does a good job usually securing these. We saw it a couple times, which is not enough, and we didn't see enough of them running it and it not being executed. Right, exactly. That's because we watched this film tirelessly we watch it multiple times and i would like to see this more like you said but there's not enough examples that's exactly right you hit nick just hit the nail on the head here there's not enough examples of this not working right i can't really think of almost any and also by the way if you look at it from an odds not an odds if you look at from a math standpoint this type of concept should only work like you're you're, okay i'll try to explain this better Let me see if I can try to figure this one out because I'm not the best with math. Let's see if I can do this. If you're calling a run play, for example, it can get two yards, it can get five yards, maybe you can break one for seven or 15. Your success rate is kind of capped there. If you're calling a play like this, and on average, it averages 15 yards of reception, which is essentially what this is average. At times, it's hit for 22, times it for 27. You you need to hit basically one of every three that you're going to hit on these plays to get positive EV or two of every, let's say two of every four, 50% versus hitting that run play for two, five or seven to get more yards and to create more offense for yourself. On plays like this, the success rate only need, needs to be a lot lower than it needs to be on a run call if we're considering, let's say a four yard gain to be a successful run, quote unquote. And it's not even that low. This play has worked so much for the Giants all year. Defenses obviously might adjust to it if the Giants put it on tape play after play, but we're not asking for that. We're just asking for it to be used a lot more frequently. Yeah, it's called a dagger concept. It's a very common football concept. I would l- have loved to see more of that, more of the Mills concept, which yes. is that deep dig with a post over the top of it because that really puts single high safeties into a stressful spot because they either have to drive down on that dig or they have to drop to the post. Obviously, they're going to drop to the post. You always got to remove the most dangerous route, but then that dig is typically open. and We just haven't seen that enough in Jason Garrett's offense this season with the Giants. But he got better in this game. Garrett had one of his best games, I think, of the entire season. Another play I really liked from a design standpoint from Garrett, 
that once again, Jones executed really well despite being under pressure. It's not his best ball of the game by any means. You're going to watch it. I'm going to queue it up for you. You guys will watch it if you have Game Pass. You'll be like, that wasn't a great ball by Jones. But when you consider the pressure, it was. And when you look at the concept, this is exactly the type of plays the Giants need to run more. And that one came with 725 left in the third quarter of this game. The Giants had a first and 10 from their own 37-yard line. And Garrett has the two verts with the deep over. It's a simple concept, but it's a great one. And it works a lot better than spacing four curls at the sticks. I really do wish Daniel... Jones had more time here too because on the outside he had Darius Slayton win off the line of scrimmage and Darius Slayton created so much separation. It was a beautiful route and a beautiful fake but Daniel Jones had to get rid of this football. He was kind of eyeing down the receiver but he knew where he wanted to go on this first and 10 play and he was going to get clobbered and he ended up getting pinballed by I think three different Dallas defenders so the fact that he was able to get this ball off and have it be a completion for a first down is really impressive because... Zeitler gets beat pretty bad off the line of scrimmage, which we've said a couple times towards the end of the season, which is concerning. Andrew Thomas, he has to hold the block for a while. He, his guy ends up getting off. It's not necessarily a huge knock on Andrew Thomas because it was a slower developing play, but it was just two deep horizontal crosses with Slayton running open on the deep vert. But it takes it takes a lot to stand in that pocket, take the hits, and, and get that ball off. It shows a lot of poise, something that I don't think a lot of Giants fans believe Daniel Jones doesn't possess because he shows that game in and game out and I know the accuracy wasn't perfect on the throw but I still think that's impressive and let's talk a little offensive line in this game I think the Giants offensive line again had a really nice bounce back game here we thought that they we both thought they played better against Baltimore especially than they had against Cleveland and um, especially against Arizona but this was another another really nice step for the offensive line so what stood out to you from the offensive line? Um, anyone specific or anything specific? Andrew Thomas, really. Yeah. I mean, he's the prize goal that you always want to kind of talk about. He was the fourth overall pick, started off really bad. And to cap off the season in a game where he really struggled in the first matchup, he looked really, really solid. Hand placement, timing, punch. There was one play where he punched so hard that you saw Alden Smith's shoulders just kind of jolt back. And that's not even something that I see all the time with Thomas, not necessarily a knock. Sometimes you can't get all your strength into your punch, but he really nailed him right in the chest, and it was very impressive. thought his feet looked really good. I thought he was very disciplined with following the pass rusher up the arc or inside with his hips, with his feet, mirroring that pass rusher really, really well and staying in front of him so the pass rusher couldn't you know go and murder Daniel Jones so I was really impressed with what Andrew Thomas was able to do and I thought Nick Gates had another very solid game I love the competitive toughness of this kid if there has to be an MVP on the offense and I don't know if we'll do an award show at some point or something like that Dan but if there has to be an MVP on the offense there is a legitimate case for Nick Gates really is interesting MVP of the offense would it be Nick Gates or Sterling Shepard it had to be one of those two. Shepard right? was out for enough games that it might be when you consider that would be interesting. Maybe we'll save that for another show. I have to think a little bit more on that one, but you can't say enough good things about Nick Gates. He came into this season having never really played the center position except for a few snaps in practice. Came in signing a big con not a big contract, signing a very team friendly contract for multiple years with the Giants. The expectation was just be better than Spencer Pulley was, just be better than John Halapeo was, and that's not much of a bar to kind of jump over. And Nick Gates took that bar, stepped all over it, cracked it in half, and really turned into arguably the best and most consistent offensive line, especially when you consider kind of 
the lull, the veteran lull, I would call it, kind of slowing down Kevin Zeitler at the end of the season. I hope that's all it is. If the Giants do decide to move forward with Kevin Zeitler at right guard for next season, I hope it's just kind of a little bit wear and tear on the body from playing so many snaps for the Giants. And it's not like Kevin Zeitler is getting crushed on every play. He just was considerably worse, I think, over the last three, four games of the season. I think that's fair too, yeah. And that may just be, again, veteran wear and tear. But when you factor that in, Nick Gates was arguably not only potentially the MVP of the offense, but at this point, probably the best offensive lineman, the most consistent offensive lineman all season. And who would have thought, you know, as Paul Rudd says, not me. Like I wouldn't have thought to be honest. If there's one play that people want to see, this isn't the cleanest play from a technical standpoint, but I enjoyed it by Andrew Thomas. It was first quarter, 423 left. He kind of punches high against Alden Smith, and Alden Smith catches his arms, knocks it down, but then he readjusts, gets his hand on Alden Smith's hip, then gets his other hand on the breastplate shoulder pad of the upfield shoulder of Alden Smith, anchors down, and then just stays in front of him the entire time. Technically, it's not perfect, but some it doesn't always have to be perfect. That's not really what you're always looking for. You're looking for effective you're looking for someone to not hold the player and you're looking for someone to just do their damn job as bill belichick says and andrew thomas did that it's basically this entire game and that was on the exact play we referenced earlier mm-hmm. where jones stepped up in the pocket on kind of the fade curl a fade outside curl route by slayton this play is a big play on that drive and it turned and we've seen way too many times earlier in the season where thomas gets beats on beat on this play and it turns into a sack and there's another play in the run game. Second quarter, 8.31 left. This was a two-yard game by Alfred Morris, and the only reason it's a two-yard game by Alfred Morris is because Andrew Thomas takes Tyron Crawford, down blocks him all the way until he could not down block him anymore. <laughs> and this is something Thomas never struggled with this entire season, but the brute strength and ability to just drive Tyron Crawford into the back of Nick Gates so there was any sort of rushing room was very, very impressive. And that's something that Andrew Thomas has done well, like I said, all year. I think his run blocking has been consistent. It's just, I think the progression with the pass blocking gives me a lot of hope going forward. Me too. I was obviously, you know, realistic and harsh about him at the beginning of the season. He was one of the worst tackles by all measures and all metrics through the first seven weeks. And it's kind of flipped entirely on its side. I mean, he had a couple bad games down the stretch, not horrible games, though not nearly as bad as it was in the beginning of the season. But he's showing a lot of promise to the point where he can get to that level of all four of these tackles that were drafted in this class. Maybe not, again, that worst level. That could just be a diamond in the rough find by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But we don't need that. It's okay. I just wanted to be at that near all-pro level, maybe that Pro Bowl level, and more than solid, but maybe a little bit less than elite and that's what I think he's starting to trend toward because he's gotten so much better in just one half of a season in his pass protection yeah and he also seems like he has all the character traits that you would want in a player to work hard and really work on his craft in the offseason yeah I think that I was only pointing up from that standpoint with Andrew Thomas Um, I saw a couple more I mean it seems like it's every game but Shane Lemieux is just not great in pass protection I don't know if he's a long-term solution I think he's a, he's pretty good solid in the run game if that's what you want out of your left guard that's fine I would let rather a more complete player I do think Will Hernandez can be that complete player I don't think the Giants view that Will Hernandez got zero snaps in this game add this as did Mad Parrot neither of them got a snap um what did you see from I guess both those positions left guard and then the right tackle position with Cam Fleming are either of those guys people you would like to see starting week one of 2021 how about that I think Shane Lemieux can possibly work on 
all of his deficiencies, and they're all really related to pass protection. I, I like a lot of what he yes. brings from a grit standpoint and from a run blocking standpoint, from a trapping standpoint, from a pulling, locating, and space standpoint. I think he's pretty solid in all those with all those characteristics. It's really just pass protection, and really it's initial pass protection. It's yeah. right off the snap. There was another play, and I don't think I have the timestamp from it, but he just gets hit with a quick double swipe, which is something he struggled with the entire season, a hard downward movement from the pass rusher that gets his momentum moving forward, and then it just allows that defensive player to sidestep him, and it happened again. D- Daniel Jones, I think on that play, got rid of the football, but it's, it's every game with Shane Lemieux, and, that, and it sucks, man, because I do really want to like this player, fifth-round pick. You want him to be a find. It's just, it's not... It's not consistent enough from from a complete game standpoint, and I I think I wouldn't feel totally uncomfortable if he's the starter next year. I think I could say that I wouldn't be totally uncomfortable. But if he doesn't improve that pass protection, then yes, I I would be. So it, you would need that trajectory to keep ascending, and that's not always a given. And a lot of this is I think because he has short arms. I think that's something to do with it. Maybe a lack of athleticism in terms of blocking pass rushers who have a specific plan know where they're going to go and are able to kind of hit him before he's in his stance mm-hmm. they hit him initially i think that could have something to do with it but hopefully digu glamo and this offensive staff can really help him develop those traits which is something that we've seen in the past but it's definitely not a given yeah it's just like you said i mean the deficiency is less so when he's forced to like anchor down and he's it's not his issue is not holding blocks it's just that quickness and that athleticism that sometimes escapes him at right tackle for me I actually you know I, I teased it a little bit at the beginning of the show but I would make a I don't know if I would make the case for sure because again there are plays you know there's one example that I could talk about in the second in the fourth quarter second and 11 13 30 remaining in the fourth in the Giants zone 26 I thought originally this might have been a bad ball from Jones as I watched this play again I look at it in the fourth quarter, 13:30 left, and I'm saying, you know what? If Allen Robinson is on this roster, or anyone who can make contested catches better, it's a big play, and it changes the whole complexion of this drive. This is not a bad ball from Jones by any means. It's just not an easy catch, and it's something that only some of the best contested catch receivers make. So a case can be made that receivers might be more important, but I think the right tackle situation could seriously stand to improve in 2021, and I think having a really good right tackle could be really big for the entire offense it absolutely would it would make this offensive line much more complete i think cam fleming was what we expected him to be serviceable at best marginal to adequate but not a complete liability he's not eric flowers out there so i think that's not something i feel comfortable with going into 2021 when we actually have real like playoff aspirations i think that's very fair to say that the giants could win the could win this division next year. So you want to definitely have something a little bit better than Cam Fleming now. Is that going to be Matt Parrott? That's kind of the question. You hope he's a third-round pick, pick 99. And by the way, it's 6-11 in the third quarter. 225 was one of the plays where Shane Lemieux was kind of beat easily around the edge. So I actually did have the timestamp written down somewhere. I just <laughs> had to check through my notes. It's by a three technique. It was Alden Smith. And right when Shane Lemieux goes to punch him, his base is a little wide. Alden Smith just hits him with a quick double swipe and then rips through his outside shoulder. And if you pause it mid-play, you could see Shane Lemieux's head is looking down at the turf. Chest is towards the turf. Base is completely wide. One of his legs are up in the air. It's just totally bad technique. And Daniel Jones, with his limited mobility, was able to just kind of get out of the pocket and find Evan Ingram, luckily. Yeah. 
And I think overall, as we move forward with this with this offense and with this team, there's positive signs, and they start to show as you break down the film. It, it looks a lot better on film than their 31st ranking, but there are a lot of things that we hope to improve on as they move forward, and there were things that we saw in this specific game from individuals and from the play calling, and overall that made us definitely feel a little bit more positive going into the offseason. But if there's nothing else on the offense, then let's go ahead and transition to the defense. For me on defense, the thing I have starred and the thing I wanted to talk about first was how much I love Patrick Graham. And Patrick Graham, for those who don't know, the news broke a few hours ago, was extended by the Giants and I'm sure paid a handsome sum, something that both Nick and I, I know I called for it, and I think Nick called for it on Twitter as well, a few weeks ago. Pay this man. Give him a ton of money. You don't care. You're John Mara. You have all the money in the world. There's no cap for coaches, no salary cap to worry about. And they did. I think they gave him a really good raise to stay with the Giants. And the news broke that he's not going to pursue any of these coaching opportunities, which is great news. And what I loved about this game plan is if you watch the first game when Dallas beat the Giants, they beat him because they had the Giants had zero option for CeeDee Lamb. So you look at the game plan, and how many plays did you see the safety break right down over the slot to take Lamb out of a play? It was like Patrick Graham came to these defensive backs and came to this defense overall during the week and said, game plan, num- uh, priority number one, stop C.D. Lamb in the slot. Make sure he doesn't beat us in the slot. It was very Belichickian-esque to take away the one thing that the Cowboys can do to beat the Giants, or that they at least did consistently to beat the Giants. Their thing that's been really the most consistent for that offense, no matter if it's been Dak Prescott, a quarterback, or Andy Dalton, it has been CeeDee Lamb in the slot. And you, there's so many examples, this tape is littered with it, of the Giants using interesting coverages and using multiple players to take Lamb out of a play. A lot of different trap coverages. So basically they were baiting Andy Dalton to throw the ball to Lamb. And another interesting part about all this was First matchup, a lot of zone. This matchup, a lot of man coverage. And that's a really good sign. And that's probably another reason why Julian Love played so much more than Isaac Yitam out there. But I have it written in red right here, man. Dallas really tried to get Lamb on the move in the middle and towards the end of the game to try to free him up and get him away from whatever the Giants were planning pre-snap. But even still, whenever he broke over the middle of the field, Logan Ryan broke down yes. so hard to rob underneath that route. Andy Dalton's first read went to Lamb, wasn't there, and voila, guess what? Giants were able to get pressure. And the fact that they were able to get pressure, Andy Dalton couldn't get to his second and third read consistently, and the Giants end up winning this football game on the back of that defensive strategy and the fact that Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Dalvin Tomlinson, Kyler Fackrell, Blake Martinez, they were able to get pressure on Andy Dalton. When all this works together, man, it makes for a great defense. The Giants have some holes on their defense, but I think there's a lot of great players, very good players, you could say, on that defense, and they're led by an incredible defensive mind. Yeah, with Patrick Graham back in the mix, I have all the confidence in the world about how this defense will carry over and potentially even build on and become better in 2021, depending on if they can make improvements via the draft, via free agency. And I don't just mean big names. It could be just mid-level depth guys could be one big name. It could be Patrick Sertan in the draft. It could be something like that. But a lot of the reason why you can look to a game like this and look to their overall defense and come away with optimism heading into 2021 is the fact that Xavier McKinney is starting to really feel it. McKinney obviously came along slowly. He broke his foot. He wasn't able to practice with the team you know, after late in training camp, then he had to get his legs under him because again, when you have a broken foot, you're not training hard. You can't run, can't really stay in football shape. 
But this felt like the game where not only it all came together for McKinney, but it felt like the game where he was moving a lot faster on the field than I had seen him all all season. And right away, you could tell that they had a much bigger game plan for McKinney because on the second and third defensive plays of this entire game, it started with the second play where McKinney's lined up in the slot to a safety. And, and, and I'm sorry, where he's lined up in the slot. And then the third play, he moves back into the safety in a two high, makes a really nice break on a Dalton pass and comes away with an, an interception. Of course, it was ruled uh, a holding by Julie, I'm sorry, by Darnay Holmes in the slot, which eh, it was probably a hold. It's a little questionable. Regardless, that has nothing to do with the break that McKinney made on this pass. He broke to a spot where he expected the pass to be. And that's exactly where the pass ended up being. That's a great read by him. It's a great break, and it's a great play. And it carried over throughout the game, not just on his late interception to steal the game. McKinney was all over the place, used all over, and he was moving really fast out there. Xavier McKinney, that is the reason the Giants drafted this guy. He showed the Giants coaching staff, Giants fans, he showed his capabilities in this game in so many different ways. In run support, as a tackler, obviously in coverage, you're right. I know he doesn't get credit for that interception, but he put himself, you said it great, he put himself in a position to intercept that ball. And I don't think C.D. Lamb's getting to that pass anyways, and it looked, Darnay Holmes probably grabbed him a little bit, but it was definitely a little bit of an acting job by Lamb. But I can't say enough good things about what Xavier McKinney was able to do for the Giants defense, and it gives me so much hope for the future and honestly this makes me think since they gave julian love this big kind of audition in week 17 and he lived up to it this makes me think julian love will be moved back to cornerback and it's going to be logan ryan jabril pepper xavier mckinney i was just going to say that next the next thing i wanted to touch on which gives me hope and optimism was the play of julian love in this game because maybe it's a situation where they moved him to safety last year they wanted to try him out there at safety and more importantly they didn't feel like they had that many options adrian colbert got injured early they kind of liked him and they couldn't use him xavier mckinney out right away so they didn't really have the depth they wanted probably at safety so instead it took a little while but now he's moved back to corner and like you said they played a lot more man and i liked what i saw from julian love in this game he had a couple really nice breaks on passes in this game that had me excited about his potential next season is he going to get burned if he's out there on an island is he going to sometimes get burned because of his speed maybe but he made a lot of plays on a lot of balls in contested catch situations at notre dame and he looked pretty good out there i thought in this debut i don't want to call it debut but in this extended outside corner debut if you want to look at just a couple traits was hip discipline clicking close breaking back towards the catch point all things that he did at a high level one play that i loved which wasn't coverage just was a tackling play by julian love and it's something that i thought very highly of him after his rookie season coming down in the box it was 27 seconds left in the first half just the hit that he delivers on cd lamb it's just a little screen and julian love kind of comes downhill and just jumps right at the hips of cd lamb and you could tell like cd lamb's momentum just gets kind of stopped right there and i love that kind of power you could just tell he's an athlete and just a few short weeks ago we did not have a high opinion of him because we didn't know the direction they were going to go in with julian love but i think you hit the nail on the head right there dan it was because of the injuries they had to keep him at safety that's the position that he would playing the year before so they rolled with that but now i think he's going to be that cornerback and there's hope that he could be the cornerback too now on twitter i put out that i hope the giants still invest in that position and i stand by that i don't think you can go into the season with sam beal and julian love penciled in as your cornerback too i think you should add a body that doesn't mean it has to be the 11th pick or the second round pick but just somebody to compete for that position but i feel so much better about julian love right now than i did a few short weeks ago 
Yeah, and I think, like you said, teams like the Dolphins, who have turned into an elite defense for the most part, obviously it doesn't always look elite when your quarterback is Tua and your offense can't move the ball. The Ravens, the Patriots last year, and then the Patriots kind of rebounded this year despite all the injuries. They have multiple shutdown corners. The NFL is turning into a league where coverage may be more important than pressure, or than pass rushers. I mean, look at the Giants this year. They finished with one of the better defenses at cashing in pressure. They finished with 40 sacks, 13th in the NFL, despite losing their top three edge rushers to injury. And that just goes to show you can scheme up pressure. The Giants did an excellent job with Patrick Graham at scheming up pressure. What you can't scheme up is pass coverage. You're never going to be able to scheme that up. When Isaac Yadim is on an island in man coverage, like we saw in week one against the Steelers, bad things can happen at times. And so for me, I'm always going to be interested in getting corners. I think Miami, people laughed at Miami for, you know, signing Xavier uh, Howard to that massive contract, then going out and getting Byron Jones for agency, and then drafting a first-round cornerback. But now they're laughing at the teams who, at the people who laughed at them because you can never have too much coverage, in my opinion, in this league. You really, truly can't. So that's still a position I want to upgrade, but I do think that this was a really good sign because I personally am not a huge item fan. I think he's pretty physical at times, which is okay. He's okay. He ended up learning the zone that Patrick Graham being kind of smart at times and savvy in it. But Love actually showed me some things. Like I have a play written down that I thought was, you know, obviously not just love on this play it was great coverage and great scheming by Graham to make Dalton go back to Cooper here who's not his first read but right in the second quarter with 10.06 left in the second quarter Dallas had a second and 10 from their own 12 and love is right there in coverage he makes a really nice break on Cooper after Dalton has to like not come to where he wants to go which is the slot because they run that trap coverage with the robber and Dalton makes a contested play on this on Cooper on the comeback curl and Cooper doesn't make this catch because love's right there I want to say that's Gallup, but yeah, that was that was a great play right there. It was just a quick curl past the stick, selling a vertical route by Michael Gallup, and he gets his hips. Gallup gets Love's hips kind of turned a little bit, like not in a negative way, but just to commit, okay, he may be going vertical. I need to flip my hips here, but it doesn't deter Love from breaking back to that catch point and getting his hand in there. And I want to circle back for a second, Dan. Who was that first round pick by the Miami Dolphins? I'm not going to be able to pronounce this dude's name. <laughs> okay. I knew where you were going there. The minute you said it, I'm not even going to try. This is not a name I'm going to even try. I've actually had some recent, you know, there's been a multiple people. I think I, I'm Butter, I think his name is. I am Butter or AM Butter. Guy on Twitter wants to get wants me to get grilled for my recent uh, pronunciation of indictment. Indictment? I don't even know right indictment. now. Indictment. Indictment. Honestly, when you said that a couple podcasts ago, like I couldn't, I couldn't get a word in because you were, you were Damn doing it. your thing. Now I'm stuck with this. We might need yeah. to edit this out. Damn no, it. no, no. I mean, I, I was tagged in the. We won't edit thing. this out because yeah. I'm a good sport. But damn, I just saw what I did there, and this is gonna, this one's gonna be tough to overcome. Anyway, it's not as bad as corpse, though. I think this might be worse. The fact that I just called it indictment. But uh, I think it shows integrity with you that you're like, you look, I, I screwed it up. I know I screwed it up, and now I'm going to admit it again. So I'll be honest. I come away respecting now, you because until of now, I think indict. I think I thought that indictment was spelled with a gh, and I think that's where oh, this wow. whole just looks weird. issue surfaced for me. But you know what? It's not an indictment on Julian Love or wherever the hell we're going with this one. But yes, we move on with another massive mistake. In pronunciation from Dan Schneier here. Whatever, I screwed up an Italian last name, and exactly. I'm like a, I'm purely almost all, all Italian. So exactly, so <laughs> that makes me feel a little bit better. Let's talk about a few other things. I think we don't often see, and we saw it in this game. How many times do we see a single defensive player 
take over a series like Leonard Williams did after what could have easily, easily been a momentum, game-changing fumble in the first quarter by Wayne Gallman. Break down those three straight plays, and I know you put them up on Twitter, but for those who didn't get a chance to watch Nick's breakdowns on Twitter, just break down what kind of impact Leonard Williams had to force the Cowboys to not take the momentum back, to not turn the short field into seven, and to really keep the momentum on the Giants' side. So Leonard Williams is lined up as the seven technique in an over front, three down linemen, three linebackers, three three five defense. And this is a first and 10, 558 left in the first quarter. And look, you're supposed to shed tight ends like Leonard Williams does here. It's not, it shouldn't be expected for Dalton Schultz to be able to make this block. But Leonard Williams made it look so easy. He just stacks him, gets his eyes on where the ball carrier is going throws Dalton Schultz to the side, and then makes a tackle. The next play, second and eight. This is a backside screen, so there's a lot of misdirection here because there's supposed to be a screen to C.D. Lamb to the field to get the Giants going that way, but that's obviously a bluff. And it comes back to a backside screen to Tony Pollard. And Dexter Lawrence does a good job not falling for it, beating his block, getting into Dalton's face, but Leonard Williams kind of stays disciplined where he's supposed to be and then just watches Dalton's eyes, waits for him to throw the football, and he gets his hand on it to deflect the pass. That could have been a touchdown if that was completed. I think it would have been a touchdown if you look at the All-22. I think so, too. Logan Ryan would have had to make an awesome tackle, an awesome play, and he would have to beat a block to do it. And then... Cam Brown really does an excellent job on the next play, the third and eight. But Leonard Williams ends up getting the sack. He does a phenomenal job too. But Cam Brown going up against Terrence Steele, I think it is. And Terrence Steele, I saw him turned around. I saw him looking at Andy Dalton at least three or four times in this game. He's not a good tackle. Nah, this is nah. not your at. This is this is not your father's <laughs> Dallas Cowboys offensive line. Let's be fair and yes. honest. We love what we saw from the Giants defense, but this Dallas offensive line is terrible right now. I saw Steele turn around multiple times, and Cam Brown does a good job getting up the arc and kind of using power to push yeah. steel backwards and then he ends up holding cam brown and the penalty gets thrown but obviously the giants decline because leonard williams gets past number 66 and just with an easy swim move just grabs his chest push pull swim and sacks andy dalton there which was an excellent three play sequence from leonard williams to ensure that the cowboys didn't score there and i'll say this there's a lot of talk among giants twitter about leonard williams and they say okay, he broke out in his contract year. What happens when they sign him? Will he lose the motivation? Will he lose the interest? I don't buy it at all. I think that the fact that he saved his best game for last in a must-win, basically, essentially, playoff game for the Giants, you know it was prep like that all week. You know Judge prefaced it like that. You know he got these guys up like, listen, we win this game, and then blah, blah, blah happens in that second game, which ended up being a tank job, which we won't get back into because we don't want to keep the blood pressure, get that blood pressure going higher. But he saved his best for last, and he showed up big in a big spot. And I think that when they re-sign him, not if, they will re-sign Leonard Williams, when they re-sign him, he will continue to be a premier player on this defense. Absolutely. And just to speak on that Cowboys offensive line, their best offensive lineman, I guess you would say, I probably think it's Joe Looney, to be honest, but I think Connor Williams gets that credit when on this group right here without Zach Martin and all those other guys that they have. Dalvin Tomlinson owned Connor Williams on, I think, three different plays where Connor Williams just ended up with his back on the ground. There was three separate plays. I put one of them up on Twitter, and there were two other ones where Dalvin Tomlinson's just raw strength and power just absolutely dominated that kid from Texas. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. We'll get into it this offseason, but I almost want the Giants to re-sign Leonard to the big contract that he's going to get, and then just tag, slap a tag on Dalvi. 
or just even sign. I'm not. A, I'm not a big cap guy. I don't really believe the Giants have any issues to worry about with the cap anytime soon. So I almost want them to try to keep this group together. It'll be interesting. I'm not going to be kill. I'm not. It's not going to kill me if they let Dalvin walk. But at the same time, I think that he can really be somebody who helps this defense get if he remains on the defense he helps them get to the next level absolutely and a lot of people look I think Austin Johnson had a few really nice reps in this game BJ Hill somebody who flashes a lot of people are like well look why don't we just let Dalvin go because we have these guys I just think what Dalvin offers is different yeah. than all, what all those guys offer because he is the rock in that odd front he can dominate the a gap and just control any center and totally basically limit offenses from running up the middle you don't see offenses go up the middle on the Giants because they have these big guys and you would think and hope Dexter Lawrence would be able to step into that role we've seen it a little bit it's definitely not as effective as Dalvin Tomlinson I think losing Tomlinson would be a relatively big loss but this is a business and there's gonna have to be choices and that's just the sad reality of it I'm gonna miss watching him if he's not on the Giants and ultimately if they do let him walk it's not the end of the world because it does show that they're understanding that they can't pour every single dollar Mm -hmm. they have into the interior defensive line in 2021 in the nfl's version of 2021 so from that standpoint it's okay i just don't really think the cap is much of an issue for this team they don't have any i broke this down on twitter a couple days ago a long thread that i would really suggest any of you guys to read if you're interested in kind of how the cap works in nfl teams but if you kind of look at the giants cap situation past the 2021 season and then look into 2022 they don't have any massive contracts on the books really past 2022 with the exception of what will be Leonard Williams and then once Seitler comes off the books and Solder the only offensive contract they really will have is Barkley's and Shepard's and Jones's to an extent but Jones's is cheap for a quarterback and you flip it to the defensive side of the ball you got Bradbury you got Martinez you will have Williams who will have the biggest of those guys then you look at Bradbury Martinez I'm sorry not Bradbury Bradbury will be in that it's a massive contract it's that you know Leonard Williams range but Martinez Logan Ryan that's still just 10 million a year same with Sterling Shepard and Shepard's cap hit actually goes down this year and next to nine eight so the Giants really have a lot of cap space to work with they can dip into future years which I think they should I think all teams should do that (laughs) I think that as you see you can you can really maneuver around it when you do that Um, and so we'll see what happens there with both those defensive linemen but I will say this it was apparent in this game and it's been apparent pretty much in every single Giants game this season when they ha- when they don't face a mobile quarterback who can run the football himself, the Giants' run defense is elite. The Giants did not seed anything on the ground to the Cowboys, and they tried to establish that run game with Zeke. They wanted to establish a run offense with Zeke, but when you don't have that option to run with a quarterback, the Giants' defense just doesn't give up anything on the ground. Yeah, Lamar Jackson, they gave up some yards to that running offense. They didn't really do the best job against Murray and the, and the Cardinals. They did okay there, but not the best job. And against some of the more mobile guys, they have issues. But when it comes to these guys like Dalton and then a running attack with Zeke or anything like that, Giants run defense has really, really turned into one of the game's best. And I think a big reason for that is Balake. What? Balake Martinez. Oh. <laughs> somebody somebody DM'd me asking me to use the reference, and I wanted to see how you reacted. And that's the reaction. <laughs> I was yeah, so confused. Blake Martinez. I did not know what the hell just happened. It's there. not A.A. Ron Rogers, but Blake Martinez. Blake Martinez. <laughs> who was this who DM'd you? Ah, I'm gonna keep, he deserves keep him, a shout-out. He will get a shout-out. He will get he a shout-out. He deserves shout out. a shout-out for that. What the hell was that? <laughs> Whoever you are, I appreciate it, and I liked it. But that definitely stunned. It put me in stun, stun mode. I was stunned. Finish him. Yeah. 
<laughs> completely drawing a blank. But, but Blake Martinez, his addition, I don't think it could be understood. When you upgrade from Alec Ogletree to Blake oh, Martinez, it, like that's literally going from an F to an A, in my opinion. I, I think Blake Martinez is one of the most underrated players in the NFL, dude. Yeah, at this point, he is. I mean, to be fair, I think he had his best season of his career with the Giants in this system. But having said that, it happened. It's there, and he's going to be in the system moving forward. Didn't he lead the tack? Didn't he lead the NFL in tackles the last three seasons? Now, I to think. To be fair, though, one of the reasons people got hyped about the Alec Ogletree trade was that he had like 106 tackles the year before the Giants traded for him, or something like that. Tackles to me is is a stat that I don't love fully. But this is not. It's not a. It's not. I'm not worried about stats here with Blake. You can see it on the film. Well, that's he's, um, that's my point. But he's all like just how he puts himself into position. Every play, yeah. it's it's remarkable how he's basically putting the offense into a disadvantageous situation just because he can't really be fooled and he's always getting up to the line of scrimmage and filling the gap to force the running back to be indecisive. Exactly. It's, it's great. And uh, I want to go over one play just because we brought it up before. There were several throughout this game, but first quarter, third and four, 15 seconds left. And this is a big, you know, big play in the game because... Cowboys want to obviously extend this drive. This is one of the plays where Logan Ryan shoots very, very aggressively at C.D. Lamb. And this is the Cowboys using C.D. Lamb in motion, trying to see what the coverage is. And he ends up in a bunch as a number three receiver off the line of scrimmage, gets a clean release, and he fakes like he's going inside. Logan Ryan jumps it before he's out of his break. That was such a game plan by Patrick Graham, and I absolutely love it. And this play should have been intercepted by Julian Love. If there's anything we're going to say negatively about Julian Love, it's you got to catch the football, my man. Doesn't have the best hands. <laughs> Doesn't have the best hands. No, not going to be playing receiver anytime soon, but damn, Julian, I, I really love what you were able to do in this game. And we won't put this one up on Twitter, or Nick won't, because he's the one who does most of the film on Twitter. I think ultimately, Tay Crowder had a nice bounce back game. I did not think Tay Crowder was good against Baltimore. thought he was better in this game. I think he's getting a lot of hype. I don't know if I would hype this game about as much as others would i think there's some stuff to work with i think he could potentially be a solution there but i think the giants need to strongly consider finding another inside linebacker this offseason to at the very least compete with him and potentially start over him but if you do want to see a play where i've never seen a linebacker or any second level defender get manhandled worse and i and i like take Crowder, so don't take this as me knocking him but take a look on the all 22 in the first quarter 10 57 first and 10 for dallas on this run play tay crowder gets driven so far off the screen by the pulling guard i've never seen anything like it yeah this was a not a great look for tay crowder he tries to set up and and square up and he doesn't get in a position quick enough and that guard literally lifts him up and drives him into the back of the <laughs> offensive player that's blocking james bradbury on the outside and ends up being like a 13 yard gain that wasn't his best rep, but I do think this was one of his better games, despite that one it was. very negative play. The uh, first play of the second half, I thought was a really good play by Tay Crowder, where he just scrapes over the top, tracks the ball carry on that first play of the second half, and makes a nice hard-nosed tackle. He had a couple of those nice scraping over the top, getting himself into position, and then finishing the tackle. He really needed it, though, after that pretty poor performance, like you said before, against Baltimore, where he missed several tackles, which is something we're not accustomed to seeing with this Patrick Graham unit. I have my issues with Crowder in the run game. I do think he's fast. I think he's quick. I think he had a really good bounce back game here. I think he's something to work with. I think it's kind of how I view this cornerback position maybe a little differently though now that I kind of see kind of like what I'm seeing from Love and see a little bit more upside there just based also on his pedigree and where I graded Love coming out of the draft versus where I graded Crowder coming out of the draft. 
But I will say this, it definitely had a nice bounce back game. I think if you're looking for fun reps from this team, my the most fun rep I have in this game came in the first quarter with 9-15. Dallas was in a third and eight situation. I just love this design by Patrick Graham on a third and long situation with 9-15 left. He's got Pepper blitzing and looping in on the stunt, and Martinez peppering the A-gap. So Martinez actually overwhelms and gets the sack by overwhelming Pollard on this by blitzing the A-gap, but if Martinez isn't there, Peppers is coming right around for the sack because he's running this interesting stunt game, and and you don't really see a safety like Peppers kind of rushing the edge and then looping back inside like he does on this one. It was just fun to see. See, that could be, that's a testament to his skill set, but it's also an indictment, (laughs) (laughs) but it is an indictment on the Giants' edge rushers right now. Sure. I, I, I love this too. BJ Hill is the penetrator in the stunt, splits the tackle and the guard, and Peppers does a really good job, or the center in the guard, I'm sorry, just kind of getting around Joe Looney, and you're right, that could have been a sack by Jabril Peppers if it wasn't for Blake Martinez making that sack. You love seeing that, man. There were a couple exotic stunts by both teams, I, I felt. I felt yeah. the Cowboys, they would line up tight, and then they would do a interior stunt to try to manipulate the guard and the center, and I thought both teams, actually, I saw on film, there was definitely the one, quote-unquote, Kevin Zeitler allowed sack, which really wasn't. It was a defensive hold. Yeah. Saw Dalvin Tomlinson do the same exact thing on a play where he held an offensive lineman and the Giants were able to execute a similar type of stunt. So there was a lot of that kind of going on. A lot of it was in the interior parts of the offensive line, something that I saw. It wasn't as much wide nine like we saw with the Arizona Cardinals and a lot of those types of guys. It was a lot of interior stunts. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, this was a fun game to watch on film. It was a fun game to break down, especially defensively. And I want to kind of circle back. I know we're getting long with this podcast, but I want to circle back to Tay Crowder here in a bit. And just kind of like, Dan and I both understand that this was Mr. Irrelevant, and there's a lot of room for growth. We just want there to be an open competition at that spot, and we want more bodies to be added to the roster to kind of enhance the competition and allow the best man to win. I don't think either of us believe that Tay Crowder can't be that guy because I think there is a lot of room for growth there. One play that I absolutely loved was one minute left in the third quarter as well. He just shoots his gap insanely quickly and bounces off of a blocker and then ends up making the tackle on Ezekiel Elliott, not the easiest person to tackle. And that was just, I think, an excellent play. It was really, really instinctive. Showed a lot of keying, diagnosing type of mental traits that you don't expect from a seventh-round rookie. So I do think there's a lot of room to grow, but that doesn't mean that the Giants can't still try to upgrade that position. I think those both things can coexist. Exactly. All right, that's all we have for today on the All-22 breakdown of both the offense and the defense on this podcast. Thank you again to everyone who's tuned into the Big Blue Banter podcast this entire season. This will be our last All-22 coverage of the season but we might have one little surprise from an all 22 standpoint coming so i shouldn't say the last we have something in mind but we do want to thank everyone who's tuned in new listeners the old listeners those of you who were there from the start when it was me and nick turchin doing this this podcast has grown we want it to grow even bigger we thank everyone who's played their part in that we're now up to 444 that's a weird number to look at 444 ratings on itunes we really want to get that up to 500 um talking giants which is friends of the show but 
they've also surpassed us on this ratings and there's been a little friendly competition there so help us grow if you haven't rated and subscribed yet on itunes and reviewed our podcast give us a five-star review write something in we'll read it on the show i feel like itunes has an issue right now with updating these reviews because our latest review is still from 12 11 december 11th and i know there has to have been a review before that because we've gotten more ratings but thank you to everyone who's already taken the time to do that that's all we'll ever ask and then also do us a favor and follow us on instagram at nybigbluebanter where you can find all of our work there insta sean continues to murder it guys so please go and support us there yes sean barletta crushing it for us on the instagram streets as they might call them as no one has ever called them for some reason i just did anyway have a great rest of your week and we will talk to you soon everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in if you are a woman over 35 magnesium will help you rediscover balance energy and vitality magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body including those involved in hormonal balance from functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.